0: one basic
1: hip welcome to the jazz session the weekly jazz interview show i'm jason crane this is a very special to me edition of the show uh, i am recording this show and this introduction right now at 4:30 on election day 2008 and my guest on this program is sonny rollins 50 years ago in 1958 sonny recorded freedom suite And uh, it's now 50 years from the recording of that album, which dealt with uh, the condition of African Americans in the United States. And on this day, we are hopefully about to elect our first African American president. I can't think of anyone I'd rather spend some Election Day time with than Sonny Rollins. Not only has he remained a towering figure in the world of music... And a creative improvisation in particular. But he's also someone who's chosen to use his powers for good. Uh, going as far back as Freedom Suite in 1958, uh, all the way up to albums like Global Warming in 1998, Sonny has chosen to use his music as a spotlight on areas of human existence that he felt needed to be improved. Uh, whether it was uh, relations between the races or our treatment of the planet Earth. Or just the way we move about our daily lives and uh, discussions of spirituality and treatment of our fellow human beings. Sonny Rollins has just released a new live recording called Shows, Volume 1 on his own Doxy music label. Roadshows is a compilation of live performances spanning 20 years, going back to 1986 and as recently as 2007. These are called from a couple different sources, and we'll talk about that with Sonny in the interview. Roadshows begins with a track from 1986 recorded in Tokyo, Japan. This is the Sonny Rollins composition, Best Wishes. (laughs) ¶¶ My guest is saxophonist Sonny Rollins. He's got a new album on his own Doxy Records label called Shows Volume 1, a live recording called from a series of performances over the last 20 years from all over the world. And uh, Sonny Rollins, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for being here.
2: Thank you very much. My pleasure.
1: Well, I, I want to talk a lot about the music, but I, I first, we're recording this on Election Day 2008, and uh, it was 50 years ago when you recorded Freedom Suite, And wrote in the liner notes, how ironic that the Negro, who more than any other people can claim America's culture as his own, is being persecuted and repressed, that the Negro who has exemplified the humanities in his very existence is being rewarded with inhumanity. And 50 years later, we are, it looks like, about to elect our first African-American president. And I just wanted to ask for your thoughts on, on today and what it means. (laughs) <laughs> wow, what a question.
2: Uh, <laughs> I think it's uh it would be a wonderful thing for America to have a um a minority president because the the whole story of what America means and I'm a world traveler, so I'm not just a I mean, I travel around the world, and I know how people look up to America and think about America and love America around the world. So having a a minority president would be a wonderful thing for the image of America around the world and would probably uh, give people uh, that are um, repressed or discriminated against a wonderful uh, hope for the future that things may be better and that they wouldn't have to be oppressed. Uh that being said, I have to uh remind people that uh it's a human problem. The, the fact that people want to take advantage of other people, and tribalism and and uh, taking other people's uh money and land. Oh, this, these these are human problems and uh uh, I saw it through the prism of the black-white experience because I, I'm a black in the United States. Uh, but uh, the problem is is a, is a much more uh, uh, vast one, and we have to deal with it. But as far as how I feel about uh, uh, the presidency, yes, I think it would probably be a good thing for America. As well, I know a lot of black people are very, uh, happy about it because they've been discriminated against and they'd feel proud to have a black president and all that, and all that, that's, that's wonderful. But uh, besides that, it would be a very good thing for America, America's image. And that's what uh, perhaps if we think of it in that context, uh, it might go down a little easier uh Uh, to some people who are sort of uh, amazed by the whole thing, you know.
1: If we can just stick for for one more minute with um, the kind of activist theme, Uh, you're someone who um, has been not not strident, but certainly forthright in using music for uh, social awareness purposes. And I'm not only thinking of Freedom Suite, but much more recently albums like Global Warming. And sadly, 10 years after Global Warming was recorded, it's still a problem that we've done almost nothing about, and uh, I wonder, you know, if <laughs> if it seems to you like that album is as relevant today as it was ten years ago when it came out.
2: Well, I think so because once again, it's a human problem. It's a matter of people taking responsibility. Each of us personally taking responsibility for what we do. Like, for instance, if we uh, litter. Throw garbage on the sidewalk, or you know, we're walking down the street eating one of these fast foods uh, sandwiches, which a lot of people do, uh, which is another problem. <laughs> we won't go into that, but uh, if you're doing that, as so many people, and then you take the the wrapper and you throw it on the ground, see, this is this is personal irresponsibility. This is what each human being has to deal with. That's the cause of all of these problems, like uh, uh, the spoiling of the planet and uh, wanting to be, uh, to take to own somebody else uh, uh, racism and tribalism and and I mean, it's all the same. It all comes down to personal responsibility of each human being, you and me and everybody else. So that's where we have to try to attack the problem. And uh, so I, yeah, the, the uh, global warming is a problem because uh, no one wants to personally get involved and. Uh, That's how we've got to think about it. We've got to try to personally feel uh, that what we do is is important.
1: your uh, I know your grandmother Miriam solomon was active in in marcus garvey's back to Africa movement and um, an important person in your early uh, kind of uh, political and social awakening. What do you think she would think of our current situation
2: well uh, I would imagine that she would probably uh be uh, happy uh to see that um, we have a uh a minority person uh reaching these uh, heights of the President of the United States, I think she would feel very uh, gratified about it, like many uh, black Americans and, uh, I guess, other minority groups also feel feel that way. Um, Yeah, I'm sure she would feel uh, that it was um, justice, because that's what she was about. I don't think she wanted to... uh, Mistreat other people. She just felt that she was being mistreated, and uh, that's sort of what she instilled in in in, in me. And uh, so that that's what I'm sure that uh, if she were here uh, suffering on this planet like we all are, then she would probably thank God she's not here. Really, and she she's paid her dues so to speak but i'm sure she would probably feel a sense of gratification about about uh about even if obama doesn't win the idea that he's that that he's gotten to that to this uh, point of being considered as president of the united states and that people can look at him as being somebody that's um intelligent and uh, presidential uh, uh qualities and all this stuff you know it's 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 a, a an important thing it's a it's a gratifying thing to a lot of people so I'm sure she would feel that way
1: you mentioned a few moments ago that you're a world traveler, and uh, this new album, Roadshows, certainly pays testament to that. And it seems like we ought to begin by acknowledging the debt that all of us listeners owe to uh, both Clifton Anderson and Carl Smith. Will you talk a little bit about where these recordings came from that make up uh, the Roadshows album?
2: Well, the uh, chap Carl Smith was a collector uh, and uh, the, he used to surreptitiously um, record us. You know, nobody knew he was recording. Of course, this, uh, with the technology, collectors have been doing these things for a long time. Um, I was very much against it. My wife was very much against uh, these people doing that. And uh, however, technology has changed a lot of these things, and uh, these these recordings are being made every time we play almost somebody's recording. It. Uh so Carl Smith was a guy that was uh, had been playing a lot of our stuff over the years and uh recording our stuff and trading things among among the people that um there seems to be a band of uh collectors in uh of aficionados of the music and they all get together and, and uh, one good thing about them is that they keep these things away from commercial sale this is just for their own enjoyment so eventually uh after my uh wife uh dear wife departed, I eventually uh began to soften my uh, position on these things. And I met with uh, Carl Smith and so on. And uh, he had some, some of his elections that he had done over the years were represented on the album. Uh, as far as I was concerned, I was always, uh, I, I knew my friend Pat McFingney, uh the guitarist, who was uh, also with uh, my agency up in Boston. He was also, uh, he used to always record everything concert he did. And uh, so I spoke to some people at my uh, booking agency. He said, well, does uh, Pat record everything? He says, yeah, Pat record. So I said, well, gee, I should record everything I do also. Why not? This is really my work So anyway, I started recording everything that I did also. So this uh, Roadshows Volume 1 is a uh, collection of uh, tunes that I recorded and uh, that uh, some of them uh, were contributed by Carl Smith also from his collection. And that made up the uh, Roadshows Volume 1.
1: So for all the hundreds and hundreds of shows that I, I have to imagine there were to choose from, how did you pick these particular eight tracks? I mean, how did how did you remember, oh, that was a good show? How, how do those things stick in your mind?
2: Well, I remembered uh, some of them, and uh, I didn't go through all of the shows, of course. I just trusted my memory uh, to remember some that I thought were good at the time, and Clifton also thought some of them were good at the time. So I pulled out those and listened to those, and so it was narrowed down. I I didn't really listen to more than, I would say, 20 concerts uh, at the most, and uh, I was able to uh, choose from those. Uh, and of course, this is volume one. There's a lot of other material available that that, that we haven't listened to, and and might contain um, some things uh, as good as these or better. You know,
1: one of the the real finds on this record for me uh, was the tune "Blossom," which uh, I'd never heard before, and I don't think I'm alone in that. I don't think anybody would ever heard it on on record before, right? This is something that was in the band, a particular band's repertoire. And then passed out of it once that band changed is that true yeah that that's true and yeah it, it seems like it's really a tune that's worthy of uh i'm I'm very glad it got resurrected because it's a great a great composition
2: oh, thank you very much um, that tune was one of carl smith's uh contributions uh, yeah it it was a tune that um, you you correctly described it it was um part of a uh of a group that I had at the time that we and we played. And then when the group disbanded some time later I just you know it's very funny about music, the type of music that we play is very uh you know, it's it's very close to each musician that what what we're doing and, and you know, you get a group of musicians, some guys can relate to one tune, some guys can't relate to that tune, some guys can relate to other tunes, some guys can't relate to those tunes. It's one of these very personal musical things, and uh, this is what makes jazz such, at least the type of jazz that we we do, it makes it such a... Uh, uh, well, it's it's alive. It's 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 a very uh, live, living thing, and uh, so that's one of the reasons that that particular uh, piece was taken out of the repertoire because it it fit with those particular musicians, and then it it you know it might not have fit with whoever else I change bands with later, and so it got. Um, Discarded, well, uh, I shouldn't say discarded, but it sort of got uh, put on the back in, in, in the files until this time.
1: You've mentioned before that you can practice for 2 months and that you can learn more in 1 minute in front of a live audience um just by playing you know in front of human beings why is that what what does the live audience add that helps to to clarify musical ideas for you
2: Well I think one thing is that um I have the the responsibility of course then becomes it's it's you know when I'm practicing at home I do my Rudiments and my exercises and so on and so forth, which is all good. But when I'm out on the stage, this is 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 why the practicing. This is why we practice. So everything is on the line. This is the real the uh, test, the challenge, and it all it all has to be done there. You know, it's just the way it is, and it's very. Really, um, it's very wonderful to uh, come up with things that it's uh, just like when I'm when I'm improvising. I mean, I I practice a lot at home, but when I'm improvising in concert, I'm I forget what I practice. My mind is blank. I just I just let the music play me, so uh, so to speak. And this is the same way uh, when when you practice at home, you do your exercises, and then. When you get out uh, on the stage, then that's what it's all about. And, and of course, the audience uh, has some part to play in that, although not a huge part. Uh, I come from the uh, school which says that it's up to to, uh, the band, myself and the band, to reach the audience. I don't expect the, anything from the audience. It's not a matter of having a good audience or a bad audience. I don't believe in that. I believe it's up to us to reach the audience. That's our job. Once a curtain opens up or once you go out on the stage, then it's the responsibility is on us to reach them. They don't have to be a good audience or anything. I don't believe in that. That we do things which uh, I do things which I never dream of doing because it all comes out. Uh, this is the, this is what it's all about. This is why I'm living. I'm performing for people, and uh, all of these things uh, happen in performance.
1: I know you just came back from uh, your first trip to Brazil in about 25 years. How did how did that go?
2: Well, I enjoy Brazil very much. the The atmosphere in Brazil is really overwhelming I can say and uh, so it was really nice The people there's a lot of good music comes out of Brazil so many great musicians and people that love music and uh, so I, I really
1: I know you're, you're home briefly uh, before you head off to Germany and Switzerland at the end of November and beginning of December. And then uh, I believe I heard that you're going to be back in the studio uh, recording your next studio album. Is that right?
2: Right. That's, that's my plan, to uh, use the time when I'm off. and I think we go back to work in, uh, in May, I believe. And during that period of time, I'm going to uh, start work on my next uh, studio album.
1: And, and can I uh, convince you to give me any kind of a sneak peek of what uh, might be contained on that album? Or do you not yet know yourself?
2: I, I do not know myself, you know. I mean, I try to be a completely spontaneous player. And uh, these ideas come to me little by little, and uh, in, in in the course of doing... One concert, I might get an idea which I can uh, expand in, into a album, you know, in, into a new CD, or at least on in the course of a uh, tour like we're getting ready to do, do now. I might be exaggerating a little bit because I do have certain ideas fixed, but they're not really fixed. It's just really. Thoughts, but uh, it, it, the 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 music on my new CD was, is going to really be developed in performance. That would be the things that we did in Brazil. And when I say the things, I'm not talking about the songs we played in Brazil. I I mean the the, the performances. The areas that the band got into and I got into. I mean, these this, this is what makes up music, jazz music. That'll be uppermost in, in, in my mind, and I'll be focusing in on putting these things into uh, a form that we can do on a CD. So that's sort of where I'm at now.
1: it is uh, wonderful and and beautiful to me that uh, despite the the thousands and thousands of hours that you have spent playing the saxophone that you still are finding things that are exciting and surprising i mean it really seems to speak to the beauty of this music
2: well, thank you very much. Uh, if if that wasn't true, I probably uh, would be a very sad human being right now, And disillusioned human being right now.
1: I, uh, I was watching some of the video work that uh, Brett Primack has done, and he did a compilation of talking to fans before your contract in central park. And I was amazed at the age spread of people who were not casual fans. They were, you know, devotees of your music and really, really passionate about it. And these were folks from uh, teenagers and even, uh, it seems like young teens, you know, all the way up to, to your contemporaries. That must be fairly gratifying to have people from all ages, all walks of life, really responding to your art.
2: I. Um much prefer being an artist that relates to people, all kinds of people, uh, all ages of people. That's the ultimate goal of what I'm trying to do. You know, I used to know Louis Armstrong, the great Louis Armstrong, uh, used to have a uh, great following of people from all walks of life, all... Now, I know that in Lewis's case, the fact that he sang uh that that brought in a lot of fans also now, I'm not singing yet, and I don't know if I'll be able to to that but the idea of jazz as being a universal music is something which is my prime contention, and I always have that in mind. So, as you say, when you see people, that's I. I think jazz has to. I think jazz is a very, very important music, all sorts of ways. Yes, it's gratifying to know that I'm, you know, that I'm making little inroads in in into my uh, dreams fulfillment of my dreams which is to have a music which everybody can relate to you know and that's also why i'm practicing i'm trying to get to to hear my lost chord you know hear the music where I really oh this is it there's something new they haven't done but it's something which has the uh um, the next step so that people you always have people uh uh, and to get more and more people to appreciate jazz and to um, and to appreciate, because uh, jazz is such a beautiful. I mean, jazz is freedom. You know, it's, it's 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 it makes people feel that life is worthwhile. You know, you're not constricted and you don't have to to uh, march in lockstep. You know, I mean, jazz represents all of those things to me. So. I've always felt good about that. Over the years, we've always had us young fans and older fans, and so on, and, and Oriental fans, and uh, Occidental fans, and you know, African fans, and uh, everything. It's very gratifying. Without you know, this is very, very, very gratifying to me, and I'm grateful for it. And to to express my gratitude I practice and still am very much involved in trying to get to a higher place.
1: Well I want to I want to close with one last question. I tried to focus uh, on the present and the future but I I would kick myself if I didn't ask you one last question which is my hometown is Lennox Massachusetts and wow. uh, I know that you were there at the Music Inn and at the Lenox School of Jazz, and I just wonder um, if you could just spend a minute just talking about uh, the, the impact of the, the kind of Lenox School of Jazz and that, that creative scene um, at that particular time in your life. Any memories you might have of it, or even just an anecdote about it?
2: Yeah, well, it was really a very nice place, um, somewhat uh, unusual for, uh, for its time. I think that that was maybe one of the first places where jazz was really taken seriously and you know the thing about about the uh being up at Lennox was that it it began to give jazz a dignity. you see this is what was is was always missing from jazz and and uh uh, to a certain extent, it probably is still missing, but it, being up at Lennox, the music in up there was really morale building for, for a lot of musicians uh, who uh, didn't experience, who only experienced the um, nightclubs, you know, and the cash and the, uh, machines clinking in the background and the... Whiskey and alcohol and drugs and everything else associated with nightclubs. So places like the music Inn up there, Lenox, and the music school, the whole operation they had up there was very was very good for, for the uh, musicians at that time.
1: Well, thank you uh, for indulging me there. The, uh, the new record is called Roadshows Volume 1. It's on uh, Sonny Rollins' own Doxy. Music label, it's been uh, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, w- without getting too giddy, certainly one of the, the highlights of my uh, my time in jazz interviewing. And I thank you so much for taking the time to do it.
2: It's been my pleasure.
1: That was Sonny Rollins from his new CD, Roadshows, Volume 1, on his Doxy music label. You can find out more at SonnyRollins.com. My name is Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, just hours away from finding out uh, whether we are going to elect our first African-American president tonight, Barack Obama, and finally put this country back on something approaching the right track. It's been such an honor to uh, spend part of this historic day with a man who has been through so much of history and has been at the leading edge of so much of it, Sonny Rollins. And uh, I really very sincerely thank Sonny for spending some time in between legs of his world tour uh, to talk with us today. If you enjoyed this interview, I hope you'll tune in to other episodes of The Jazz Session. In fact, you can listen to every episode of the show for free in two different ways. One is by going to the iTunes store. Just type in Jazz Session. It'll pop right up and you can subscribe. And then you'll always get the latest episode right in your iTunes music player. You don't need any kind of special gadgets. If your computer has speakers, it works. Or you can go to thejazzsession.com. You need even less software for that. You can play every episode right there at thejazzsession.com. It's all free and every episode is available in perpetuity, uh, dating back to interview number one and as far forward as we go. I thank you very much for uh, spending part of this day with me, and um, I, I just couldn't be happier with this kind of confluence of content here on the show. And I hope that you will come back next time for another conversation about jazz, right here on The Jazz Session.